Hello. Hey, how's it going? Good. How are you doing? Good. Welcome to the BarCast. I'm so excited to have you. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Glad this all could work out. (laughs) It's nice to see you. I haven't seen you since... Was it in... Was it in San Francisco or was it in New York? You know, I was trying to think about that, too. I think it was in New York. Was it the Kava Sutra night? It was. I think so. That was a fun time. Have you done it since? You know, no. I I don't know if you remember, but I felt like I couldn't really feel anything. Right. We were doing it. And I just didn't know if it was worth it to go back. But... I'd be down to try again, I guess. I thought There's just you, so many things to do. I think you did feel something, and then you sort of, like, pretended that you didn't. Didn't you say you had, like, <laughs> hallucinations all night or something? No, I had weird dreams all night, but I've been having weird dreams in general for the past few months, so I, I don't think that was kava-induced. I haven't done it since either, but I definitely... It, it was, like, for me, it was, like, a real... I was, like, I can't believe this is a legal substance. Why? What did you feel like on it? It was just very like numbing. It was like a, it was like a ecstasy type body high, but not without any of like the mental stuff. It was like, it was a very physical thing. I I wasn't, I wasn't a super fan, but I liked, I liked the crowd there. Remember how like, it was like the average age was like 18. (laughs) Yeah. I... I was recently in Japan, in Tokyo, and there's this area called Golden Guy, where it's basically a lot of bars that are kind of the same size as Kavasutra. There's about, I don't know, like, if it's like eight people a bar. Yeah. And very small, and the vibe is great. I wonder if, I wonder if that's what you liked about it, the fact that it was like more small and you could talk to people. Maybe. This audio quality is terrible, by the way. There's no way we're going we're gonna to air this. <laughs> okay. I have a uh, new both headphones. It doesn't but have, I don't know if that's a No, it's not the headphones. It's like what computer are you talking into like a Arduino, you built your own sound card? No, I'm talking to a Mac. It's like it sounds it sounds really Let's try turning off video and just see if that works, but uh, I'm just kidding. I mean, we'll post it no matter what. How's is this any different? Hello? I mean, does this how does it sound to you? It sounds the same. I wonder why. It's not my internet. I mean, it might be my computer. My internet's at pretty high speed. That's fine. I'm turning the video back on because I, I want to see you. Um, okay, so uh, let's let's start our, our bar cast. I mean, we this, this whole thing is the bar cast, but... Um, how, did, well, how, well, did, how did the book thing... Wait, wait, wait. Hello? Are you, are you actually going to put this on air? Yeah. As a quality yeah. That doesn't matter. All right. we, have cool. like, we have like 15 people listen to everything. Oh, nice. It's like an audience. Wait, are you turning your video on or no? Mine's on right now. Uh, okay. Here's my video. Okay, cool. Um, congratulations on the book launch. Thank you. I'm excited about it. What'd you think? I liked it a lot. I, I like I liked it aesthetically. You know, I wasn't I wasn't the most um, active prompt user. And for those listeners who don't know what prompt is, prompt is a very cool project that Edlin launched when like two years ago. Yeah, just about. Um, so forever ago, and it started as um, sort of an email delivered um, daily prompt. Um, that you mixed it up. What was like, what was a typical prompt? Like I saw, how'd you get that scar when I was looking at the book? What, what else did you have? The last time I saw was one of my favorite prompts. The last one. And the last time I saw, dude, yeah. <laughs> I, still, I still don't get it. I feel bad about the sound quality. No, it's fine. Who cares? The last what okay. you saw? The last time I saw, so you'd have to say, like, the last time I saw blank. Oh, the last time I saw blank. Got you. Okay, okay. Right. So people came up with all kinds of things. I think one of my favorite ones that made it into the book was the last time I saw a grown man cry, it was mm. about John Travolta. Hmm. And I was like, I don't even know how you think of um, 
you know, when somebody says, like, the last time I saw, I can't even imagine your first thought jumping to, like, a grown man crying. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Was it John Travolta in a role, or was it the real John Travolta crying? The real John Travolta talking about his kid dying. Isn't that sad? And then... It is sad. I mean, it obviously stuck with this, um, you know, person enough to write a, like write it in. And one of the things I like about prompts is, you know, the prompts just randomly come up. So it's not like they had a lot of time to think about something really intense. Right. You get 12 hours, and for that to come up is really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I mean, you and I spiritually, I think arrived at a similar interest in like these challenge response, icebreaker type creativity unlockers. Um, I don't know. It's just like, it's such a super powerful design pattern that I think is still like underappreciated. Um, like, I I don't know. I mean, you could, in a way you could formulate every platform as a challenge response. So like even the early days of like Twitter is like, what's on your mind, right? Like, um, to some extent, a lot of those started as like status updaters. Um, they're sort of got bootstrapped that way. Even Instagram, you could sort of say like is challenge response of like, what can you do with this photo? But I mean, yours is more direct. Um, draw quest, which is like daily drawing challenges is more direct. Um, yeah. I wonder if it's because people like having something to react to, you know, after prompts, I think I've been thinking a lot about news and like cool things that are happening. Um, but for the most part, people write about things that they're reacting, like, towards in the world. Like, a lot of people are reacting towards the election right now. Right. Um, and the policies. Um, but I think that if you're not constantly prompted to think about something, like, by, I think by nature, we're all social creatures. Yeah. So, in some ways, since we're all, like, kind of maneuvering around, you have to think about how how you differentiate yourself from somebody else in the room around you um, or how you react to somebody else and how you're like maneuvering around people. So I don't know. I think that challenge answer thing, um, it's an interesting dynamic. I'm curious to see how it plays out in more platforms. Do you know this book Impro? I-M-P-R-O? Impro? No, never heard of it. It's kind of interesting. It's one of these like cult classics um, that gets sort of like annoyingly popular in, in our industry, but like, uh, it's, it's a book, I think it was written in like the sixties and it was this guy who was a big improv instructor. And so he writes sort of about all these exercises that he did in improv. Um, and the book is split up into like four chapters. The first chapter is like status, which is really interesting. Cause he's basically like the only way he was able to get people to have conversations that sounded like real conversations was by giving them the prompt of like, try to say something that makes your status a little bit higher than the other person's. And so, um, he was sort of like, he kind of, his belief is like pretty much every, every interaction is status driven. Um, so he does like a lot of games to, to do that. But the second chapter is spontaneity and, um, yeah, it's definitely worth a read. It's, I, I, I'm, I'm in it right now. And so I kind of forget parts of it, but he said something about like when people try to be creative or try to be, uh, interesting, it's oftentimes like a failure. And actually when they're when they say something that they think is like the most obvious, that's when it's interesting. And I think like something you said just sparked that with me, which is like sort of like, I might, I might see your prompt and I might have an answer and I'll think to myself like, that's so cliche or that's so stupid. Everyone thinks that. And then it turns out that that's actually the most individualistic thing. Like we have some weird, I think we have some weird fallacy where like we think whatever is top of mind for us is top of mind for everyone else, but it's usually not. Yeah. And we're, so good at self-censoring ourselves because you like expect to act a certain way when you're around other people. Right. Um, I think that, you know, I think people always have a bad time or like a hard time figuring out, um, what's most interesting about you compared to other people. And you're, everyone's so worried about being judged. It's like, I mean, we are kind of a judgmental society, so yeah. I don't blame people, but, um, but yeah, I think it's tough. Is is prompt on hiatus right now? Or are you on vacation? Where I went to the website, says so like come back soon. Prompt is on hiatus. You know, I said I would come back a little earlier this year, um, but I've been thinking a lot about where I want to go with prompt, and I've learned a lot in the past few years about it too. Um, 
So I don't know. I think that it will come back this year in some form, but it might not be the same way that it's always been. How much, how much stress does that give you having like this project that people love and then you have to sort of shepherd it and it's hard, you know, you, you're going to have to invest some time in it. Like, does it being a hi- on hiatus put pressure on you or are you like handling it where you're just like, yeah, no, it's cool. Like we'll come back. We'll, we'll do something different. I feel, I think about it every day. <laughs> I yeah. think about it all the time. I think, I think this is why a lot of people have been writing on the internet about giving your project a good death. Mm-hmm. You wrote something about that. Right. Um, or how Diana Kimball wrote about no more forever projects. Right. Um, and I agree to some extent that it's nice to have projects that sort of die off if you're not as excited about them. But I think that it's really interesting when you can see projects evolving with the same people. You know, like, your audience keeps changing, too. Like, when I started it two years ago, um, I don't know. I feel like I was going through very similar things as the people that I was making pop for. And now it's been two years. A lot of people are growing up. Some people who are trying to figure out what they're doing with their lives have steady jobs now. People who are looking for relationships are getting engaged or getting married. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want to make something that grows up with its users too. That's very nicely put. I like that. Thanks. When are you getting married? Ah. <laughs> so I went be- uh, wedding venue hunting oh, yeah. last weekend. Probably not for a while at this point. You don't also, have a, you don't have a date yet? So, what? You don't have a date? No. Oh, okay. We can't even figure out where we want to get married yet. <sighs> Everything is so expensive. Yeah. Crazy. I know people were talking about that, but um, I think I underestimated how much money people meant when they said a lot of money. Yeah. Well, it's funny you talk about like things growing up as we grew up, like so many of my friends are in the wedding planning game right now. And then they're like, I've got a killer startup idea for like wedding planning. Then they're going to have, they're going to have a baby. They're like, I've got a killer idea for taking pictures of my baby. I think it is kind of nice though, to make things that are representative of your experiences. For sure. Um, I think that, I think that I might do something around the wedding space of prom. Mm-hmm. But, but yeah, I don't know. Every but yeah, it's true. Everybody also wants to start a startup, which is also crazy to me. But I mean, I think you're a little bit ahead of the game in the sense that, like, you're not necessarily, or maybe you are, but your default thought isn't like this is a startup that's going to raise venture capital. You know, like I think a lot of people, it's hard for them to imagine ideas that aren't that. Um, and so I think you have the freedom of thinking about like, this might be a fun passion project. This might be a revenue generator. This might be a VC backable company. So like, I think your idea, whatever you do or don't do, like you're working with a wider spectrum than, than, you know, some people who like are not familiar with the game. They're just gonna be like, cool. It's, you know, let me look up the domain and it's, you know, my wedding registry 2.0 dot info. And, you know, we're now seeking capital. I think there's something kind of nice about people going in and just being like, yeah, like, I think I could do this. Like, you know, I think that if I had known how hard it would be to iterate on projects, I don't know if I would have ever gotten started. Yeah. And, and I kind of like, you know, I used to be really jaded about seeing so many people want to start their own things, but I feel like it's, it's better than the alternative. Like a bunch of people sitting around just being like, this is never going to work out. Yeah, but I don't, I don't think I think that's like a false dilemma. Like, what I'm excited more is for people to like go into projects knowing that that project is going to die. Like, it creating these organic things that they've got like a whole life cycle in mind for it. Like, and I think if there's any company that I'm interested in now, it's in a company that like thinks in those terms. I mean, even if you think about like the big companies, like a Snapchat, right? Like, Snapchat's not thinking our company is this ephemeral messaging app right they're like they're thinking in life cycles they're like okay that was that thing that made this company but we're going to make snapticals or whatever they're called and then we're going to do this other thing and um 
so I think like big companies think like that. And then on like little projects, like for me, I'm, I mean, I'm going through this right now. I have a side project. I'll show you in a second, but, okay. um, I don't want to iterate. Like the second I have to start iterating and then like maintaining, I just totally lose interest and it feels like heavy. So, you know, with the dream for me is like ha- the community is the thing, but then you're launching tons of products and, and closing them down and setting them up and, um, in a previous barcast, we were talking about like constraints. And I think like one cool constraint is like the lifetime of your thing. Like this thing only is going to last a hundred days. And if you come into it with that, like if everyone has that shared understanding, then that's, that's kind of an interesting thing to explore that I don't think it's been super explored. I actually think that's a big reason why Pump is on hiatus because I would like to explore some of those concepts. You know, like when you were talking about, um, one thing that I don't like about prompts is that it lasts forever. You know, you get a prompt every day, and ideally it would be for 365 days. Right. And you're having the same conversation with all these strangers. But like I was saying, I think people kind of move on from what they're going through when they first come into prompts. And I think that that kind of constraint is pretty much where it's going. I think that it's really nice. Like, like college is great, but it didn't last forever. Because people had different, you know, it was a great foundation or a shared experience, and then people kind of move on. And I really like thinking about um, groups and communities in the same way. Like, how could you be there and have a really good connection with each other, and then you move on? Did you ever go to camp? Oh, man. No, not really. I went to to Girl Scout. I guess that was campy. Maybe. (laughs) But Girl Scouts, that was with your people who were your schoolmates, right? Yeah, we had, well, we had a bunch of people from different high schools. I was there for a long time, Girl okay. Scouts. Did you make it all the way through the ranks to, like, the, I don't know what's... I'm a, I think I'm a, I still have a lifetime membership. <laughs> I'm still a Girl Scout. I just bought my cookies. Did you? Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't get that stuff. I don't. I don't support the Girl Scouts or the Boy Scouts. I, I, I was a Boy Scout. I didn't ever made it to the Boy Scouts, but, you know, as a Cub Scout and then a Eagle Scout or whatever. I think I made it to – I was going to be Weebelow, I think they're called, and they're like – their icon is corn. And I was just like, corn is so much worse than, like, a wolf and a bear. So I just – they have, like – if you look at their conversion funnel, I bet you they, like, churn 80% of their people at the corn phase. Um, oh, man. So I, I just asked about camp because camp is like the Uber version of that, which is it's eight weeks sleep away with strangers. And I was talking to a friend the other day, like I made, I made some of my best friends in the world through camp and like, we never kept in touch. Like at the end of that eight weeks, like some kid is like my best friend and then I'll never see him again. And that, like the second part, hopefully some people stay in touch. Just like we weren't going to like write each other letters from like New York to Massachusetts or something like that. So um, it was a very strange phenomenon of like with, you know, you, cause you're just playing in the sandbox. You're like, I know I have eight weeks and it's crazy how that stuff accelerates. Um, but I think it's, it's very hard to, it's interesting. Like you can't, it's hard to force that. Um, I mean, nowadays everybody wants to stay in touch. I, um, sold my Coachella tickets the other day mm. and we ended up being Facebook friends, <laughs> even though we live like 3000 miles away because we were talking while we were exchanging these Coachella tickets. And I think that, I don't know, 10 years ago, you wouldn't do that. It's true. I wonder what the effect of that is. Because, like, I, I didn't, we didn't have the internet when I was in camp. And so I wonder if the ability, so one version is the ability to stay in touch could have meant that these friendships would have lasted longer. Um, and then another version is these internet connections would remove the sense of urgency in that eight week period. And so maybe I wouldn't have felt like I was like, hey, I could just keep in touch with them on Facebook and never would have built a stronger connection. I don't know. Well, yeah, I feel like, I feel like it actually probably hurts more now too. When one person feels like, all right, camp's over. I want to move on. And the other person's like, Hey, wait, I just found my lifelong friend there. Yeah. And they're trying so hard to make it work when it is sort of nice to just be with each other for like a part of your life. And then, I don't know, like, you get a choice of whether you want to stay together or move on. You know what? It's funny. Now that I think about it, I do have a data point because my last year of camp, um, this girl 
who barely talked to me at all during the year or eight weeks or whatever it was, ended up instant messaging me. So I guess we had just started the internet and she was like, I had a crush on you the whole time. And, you know, you never like made the move or whatever. And it was this uh, very like bittersweet feeling. And I feel like maybe had we not had the internet, she would have been like, I got to, we got to have this conversation. Like maybe she, maybe the internet gave her this out where she was only able to confess her crush to me from the safety of, you know, her, her bedroom. I wonder how many people have things like that where um, they don't tell somebody until it's too late. Yeah. Hey, I want to talk about this book. So, um, okay. The reason I want to talk about the book is because I, I know. So I know you did a Kickstarter for it, and you wrote this little thing at the beginning of like, "Hey, I'm Adlin," and like, I don't know. Somewhere in there, you're like, "This is why I did the book." But I want to talk about the book because, like, I want to make. I'm so jealous of your book. Like, I want nothing more <laughs> than a book to call my own. I want to ask you about like the tactics of it, like how many colors, how did coloring affect the price? I want to ask you about who helped you with the book. I want to ask you like what software you did. I want to ask you like what you would have done differently. Is that okay? Can we go into that? Yeah. I hope I have the answers for you. So much of it was done by Molly, Molly McLeod, who was an incredible collaborator. We met at XOXO this past year. You met at what? Um, XOXO. Oh, XOXO. And it was, I don't know, it was really serendipitous. I was hanging out and, bless you. Sorry. I was, uh, <laughs> I was uh, looking at some of her zines. A bunch of people were um, reading them. And I was kind of like, who through that? And her vibe was totally, at the time, I was getting a really stuck on the Kickstarter because I knew what I wanted to look like in my head. I was sketching all the pages out and it, I don't know, it was just really hard for me, especially without being a designer to put that into paper. Right. Um, and, and when I met Molly, who happened to be there, she had already heard of prompts. She was like, yeah, I signed up. I checked it out for a while. Um, and really knew and understood the aesthetic and what we were thinking about. But we had a really hard time thinking about um, what the actual design would be like. I think prompts is one of those things where people have so many feelings about it that you want to do it justice. Right. But, I mean, it still has to be in print somehow. (laughs) Molly came up with um, the final design, which looked really awesome. There were a bunch of iterations before. And and so, like, okay, so you've come up with the final design, and then do you start laying it out or have you already laid it out and then you apply the design after? So she comes up with a bunch of designs, right? Like what should it look like, et cetera. And then you have to start specking it out in terms of what size you want the book to be, what printer you want and like how you want to print the kind of paper. Yeah. Um, and when you were asking about color, that we ended up going with digital printing, which means that you could do whatever colors you want. Yeah. Like, it would be the same price if you did one color versus, like, 30 colors. Oh, wow. Um, and so that gave us a lot of leeway in terms of making it, um, like, the way we wanted to look. But there are a lot of designs in terms of like, like, do you want it in color? Do you want it in black and white? Right. What size do you want it? What do you want the binding to be like? What is the weight of the paper? And you have to go and, like, feel all the paper and be like, does this feel like it's good enough? Like, does this feel good? And I think that, um, I don't know, it was my first book too. So like making any book, I've never done it before. Um, so I learned a lot about the like printing process and like just trying, I guess just trying to understand better about like how I would do a second one if yeah. I were to do one. It must've been really fun. I can imagine like picking out the paper and stuff like that being like somewhat, I don't know, exhilarating. Was it, was it fun or did it, was it stressful? Uh, you know, I think it's just hard because when you're picking up one piece of paper, you have no idea how it feels in a book. Right. Like one page is cool. Like, but you kind of know, you have to have like a stack of it to figure out like, is this going to be flimsy? How is it going to look like, and like the binding. Um, I don't know. I feel like there's so many ways that you could screw it up. And it was also Molly's first 
book project too. Like she's done a lot of zines, um, but not a book of the size. Yeah. So it was a fun project for both of us. Can we talk financials for a second? Yeah. Um, so how much did you end up raising on Kickstarter? I think we ended up raising about a little over 5,000 bucks, like $5,426. And then was that the number that drove your decision around how many copies to make? So the number of copies that we made were, you know, however many that we sold on Kickstarter, because some of that money went towards the community too, to like iterate Monson, um, and other things. Um, so like the number of copies and then also we like wanted to make a few more to get out. My mom really wanted a bunch. Yep. Um, yeah. So I still worked a bunch of extras. So you had some margins from like the sales on Kickstarter. Did, did Molly take a cut for illustrating it? Oh yeah. I I think that is a good call to pay, but I think that even with her working on it, um, I think the only person who ended up not making money was me. <laughs> yeah. But like, so were you, was Molly's payment contingent on Kickstarter tipping or had you already, um, had you already tipped it or, or, or kickstarted it? And then you were like, now I can afford to have someone design it. I had already kickstarted it and I thought I was going to do the design myself. Yeah. Um, and it would have been cool except like I said, I had a really hard time figuring out how I wanted, like I could do a mock-up on Kickstarter. It was really hard for me to come up with everything myself. And like after a few months had passed and I was like, well, I'm not going to make my deadline. I started realizing that I needed help and getting out of my head, I think was, I know, really helpful. I think finding the right partner, I got super lucky with, um, Molly. Um, but I think that it wouldn't have been as good had I done it myself, to be honest. Yeah. And so when you were, when you were kickstarting it, like it just had your like initial designs, like people, people basically kicked it because they knew prompt, um, like the community that had been supporters of that. And so like, probably I would imagine like showing the book design or anything like that was like pretty unrelated to people's decision on whether to back it or not. Yeah. And I, I was actually really surprised by how many friends had backed it. Um, I think it resonated with enough strangers um, because I I stuffed all the envelopes the week before Christmas, and there were a lot of names I just didn't recognize, which was pretty cool too. That is cool. Yeah, I um, I want to make a book. I mean, going back to the idea of like ephemerality and death and like life cycles and stuff like that. I mean, what I what I think is so beautiful about a book. I have. I mean, I'm a book like fan in general, I already like books in the first place, but like, I like how, I mean, you feel like you're part of a long tradition. You know, you're like, I made a thing that many of my heroes have made. That's definitely part of it. But then I also like how dead a book feels like for me, a book is like, like a corpse. It's like a very, uh, I don't know. You don't, you know what I mean? Like there's something very, there's something very like stale about a book that is such like a, it's like a stamp. It's like an imprint. It's like a, snapshot of a moment um it's very un it's the opposite of tech and so it's almost like a gravestone feels like a gravestone for a project for me but a very like a very beautiful like it's over here's the book i guess i think about it more as a souvenir of a moment in time that you spent together on the internet like (laughs) there are so many favorite projects of mine from growing up on the internet that just kind of died yeah um and even Wayback Machine doesn't have, like, they don't have all the archives of things. And I think that, um, I don't know, I think it's kind of nice to have, it's almost like a checkpoint. Like, hey, like, we were here together, and this is what you can't, but if you go to camp again, like, the next year, maybe you'll get a new souvenir. Um, yeah, yeah. And, but I don't think it's, I don't think it's as finite as um, you're either doing it or you're not doing it. I, I mean, souvenir checkpoint for sure. But like the reason I think tombstone is the best, uh, like I'm really into the idea of tombstone. Cause like in, in part, like why is it then that a book is such a good, um, medium for these souvenirs? You know, a souvenir could be digital. A checkpoint could be digital. Um, I think like there's something about the bookiness of a book that's like very like 
tombstone-y in the sense of it, it feels like it's going to be there forever. And no one, maybe no one's going to visit it. No one's going to read it, but like it's there. And somehow it's thereness is the point. Like the stone, like a tombstone could be anything, right? We could have a, a website for it. Like here lies Nick or whatever, but there's something very like primal about like the permanence. Like this is, this is this and it's not going anywhere. Um, but you, I mean, your point is an important one, which is like, of course you could have multiple books and if a project lasts for many years, you know, you could have many issues of it. Um, and I think like a book, a book on its own isn't necessarily a tombstone, but I think a book recording an internet event, there's something, there's something about that to me. That's like, I don't know. The contrast is interesting. I like the idea of things that you can touch versus something that exists on something more ephemeral. You know, like I can't touch a piece of software on my computer, but I can touch like a CD-ROM or like I can touch a photo that's been printed out. Um, I don't, I don't, I don't know if I like one better than the other. I think I just like the idea of making things in different ways, depending on what you're trying to do with it. You know, like I can't, share, like I could email prompt out to people, but it's a lot harder for me to tell people what prompt is versus giving them a book, which I really love. Right. Um, hey, did you, did you put your hand over the mic or anything like that? Because now I'm getting like weird feedback. Test. Here's the mic. Is it better? I think it's the same. It's fine. This audio quality wasn't, wasn't great from the start, so I think... At this point, it's just, it's just, we're going to have two listens on this. It's going to be you and me and we will have enjoyed this conversation. Yay. Um, yeah, no, I, I think you're right. I, I, I want to think more too about like working backwards. So, you know, the PM adage of working backwards that like Amazon popularized is like you build a product and then you, or sorry, before you build the product, you, you write the press release for it. And, um, I've been thinking about that a little bit with my projects. Like, what do I want the story to be? And like, sometimes I've thought it's a book, but the weird thing with a book is it's hard to like tell the story of that book. Like, okay, I have a book and now there are a hundred copies of it, but like, what's the, what's the thing? And so I'm increasingly going back to like something that, um, I've been interested in a while, which is like the launch party, right? Like that for me is really easy to imagine. Like there's a party, my friends show up. There's wine, there's a venue, there might be some snacks, there might be a stack of books on a table somewhere, I might be signing them, there might be stickers, like, just imagining a launch party for me is like very, it's it's an easy way to start thinking about the artifacts that are there. Um, so I want to I wanna ask you, like, did you throw a launch party? Are you thinking about a launch party? Was this ever anything that was in your head? One of the rewards was to get a book and a ticket to a launch party, and it's still coming. I actually don't know if I want a physical launch party or one that's virtual. Yeah. Um, I just have a really hard time celebrating like milestones, you know, like book launch. Like I felt really excited about it. Um, but it was just hard for me to be like, Hey, like to get a bunch of people really excited about something that I felt like I had accomplished with Molly too. Right. Um, you know, the working backwards idea, I've been thinking about it a lot, too. It's something Gary and I have talked a lot about. Um, I'm, and, I'm moving you home one second because my battery's running out. Okay. okay, sorry. You were saying you were talking to Gary about it, too? Yeah, he's a big fan of the working backwards idea, right? Yeah. And one thing that I've been trying to balance with that is, I guess, I guess that basically puts the onus of being exciting to only if you have an audience of people who are going to be excited by your work right then and there. But if you make something that's based on making souvenirs or capturing your emotions or like what you think at that time, um, maybe you can't find an immediate audience for it, but maybe you leave something behind for somebody else to find it five, 10 years from now. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that I like about the launch party idea and like the design pattern of a launch party is you're talking about like finding it hard to celebrate and stuff like that. And I mean, I definitely share that. Like it feels on the one hand, it feels weird, but then on the other hand, like 
I think about launch parties I've been to and how many launch parties I've been to where like I just stumbled into it or I didn't know what it was about or like I was just there because it was a friend's. And like when I think about launch parties, like almost going full circle, like what you're talking about prompt, right? Where it's, it's almost just an icebreaker to do the thing that you wanted to do so that, you know, it, your prompt could have nothing to do with Donald Trump. But if politics are in people's mind, that's what it'll become in the same way. Like yeah. a launch party is like it's just sort of an excuse to get people together and um, in a way, the celebration of your work is almost like a byproduct of it or a, a side effect of it. Like getting people in a room and having, for me, like at least having some alcoholic beverages there, like that's cool. That's like, that's enough. And if, if it's nominally about someone's achievement, that's fine. But for me, actually, it feels less, there's something less high pressure about it than like for me pinging a bunch of people to say, please download my app and give it five stars. Like, that's that's like an ask. Whereas inviting someone to a party is like, hey, like we'd love to see you there, but you know it's uh, only come if it's going to be enjoyable for you. <laughs> I think I think that's the same way with weddings too. I mean, weddings are obviously on my mind, right. right? Like I tend to view weddings as sort of like a I don't know. It's, I mean, it's so common, so I feel like it's sort of a thing that everybody goes through, but. But I don't know. I've been trying to think about it in different ways. I've been watching a lot of wedding movies to try to get myself more excited about the planning. And it is like a really good excuse to get people that you haven't talked to in a long time back in one room and to like hang out with each other. Um, and even if you're not the one that gets to hang out with everybody on that day, um, you know, like they get to yeah. and they get to have memories around like you and you're the one that brings everyone together. Yeah. That's kind of nice too. Yeah, I mean, that must be a super cool thing. Like, having been to a bunch of weddings now, it's like the idea of, like, especially the bachelor party stuff or whatever, like, having my, you know, 10 or so closest friends getting together is like, I don't know, like, I've, I've never had that happen. And whenever I have some number of friends get together, it's always great. Um, but it is interesting how many, like, unconnected threads we have. Um, are your 10 closest friends friends with each other? Some of them are, but. Um, it, I probably, if I put those 10 people in a room, there'd be many people meeting for the first time. Oh, well, that's kind of nice too. Is it different for you? Hmm. I feel like most of my friends know each other for the most part. Like they may not all be good friends, but people have sort of met over the years. Maybe less of my friends from growing up in California, but yeah, a lot of my close friends are from college, and they all know each other. Yeah. Which is kind of nice. Yeah, I have a pretty good mix of, like, I've got some friends from kindergarten, then I went to a different high school, I've got some friends from high school, college, I have some friends from college, and then from work, I have I do have some friends, but, like, a lot of my best friends are from um, the Ning days in California, so that's, like, four or five different kind of threads to tug at. What do you think was different about your Ning days versus, like, I don't know, your work friends later on? Um, I mean, to be, like, I, I have definitely made really close friends since Ning, for sure. But I think Ning was special in the f sense that, first of all, I was young. It was my first job. So I was, like, 22 or 3. Um, I was new to California. Um, and then I also worked in customer support, and, like, that group was, like, bunch of guys, bunch of girls, all about the same age. Um, and so it was like a much more like party-ish, fratty type environment. Like we went to happy hours a lot. Like it just, I mean, just the demographics worked out that way. That's awesome. Everyone was, yeah, everyone was local. There were no remote people. So you got to see everyone a lot? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's really nice when you, I don't know, I made a lot of good friends when I was in investment banking my first year out of college because we were always there in one room all the time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I can't say like, I feel like there's been as intense of an experience since then. Um, but I do think when you're having intense moments with other people, you tend to bond with them for like a longer time. For sure. Um, okay, so I want to I wanna wrap up because I know your time is precious and you've got a lot of wedding planning to do. 
Um, but before we wrap up, I had two things. One, I was wanting to show you the um, app I'm working on. Then I also want to – let's do some retrospective. You and I and Nikki tried to work together for like two or three months. And like we had like a lot of cool ideas. We had – I think our probably our biggest ship thing was Nico IRL, right? That that actually shipped. Yes. I don't – did we sell any? Did we sell anything? Yeah, we did, we did sell some. So, okay. I don't think we made our money back, but we had one side project that shipped. I just te- I just texted Nikki because Nico IRL is expiring. She's like, "Cool, like just let it let it go." <laughs> um, why do you think? When I look back at that, I had fun, but I, I would definitely like say that that was not a successful collaboration. Why? Like, why do you think we were so unsuccessful? I think that all three of us have very different styles of what the process is like. And I actually think that that's really important to figure out when you are working with someone. Like, how do you go about things? How do you figure out, like, like, are you in it to hurry up and launch and then see what happens? Or do you want to have, like, a working backwards thing and you, like, think about who you're launching for and all this stuff? Right. Um, and I think getting on the same page with all of that, especially when you're equal, is, a, like, a big deal. Yeah. But, I don't know, it was a fun project. I think I learned a lot from different working styles, too. Like, everybody could come up with... I also think the three of us are all really good at working independently. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I I really enjoyed it for its... Yeah, for, like, it being a kind of fertile time to try ideas and also see how other people tried ideas. Um, But I think we're all... We're all sort of almost the same personality type, like you said, of, like individual creator has their own unique vibe vision vision like yeah sort of like a little bit of a tyrant with how they want to do things in a good way right like just like not only do i know what i want to achieve but i have like strong opinions about how i want to achieve it and over what timeline and stuff like that and then our skills don't complement each other that well in the sense of like like i mean nikki's nikki's of the three of us a great designer um you and i are probably pretty similar like I, I hacked together that website. Remember, and it was kind of fun. Like, I mean, one we didn't really do it that well, but like one thing that was cool, right, is like we got close to basically having a forkable project template that very quickly could take payments. And um, yeah, that, and I, that for me would have I been that, that would have been the coolest output. Is like if we were able to say like, hey, here's a really great framework for spinning up a payment oriented project. Right, and that's probably something that we would have never figured out if we hadn't started on making random things. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think that, you know, I thought a lot about that. And when I was working at Basecamp, I also, that was something that was really on my mind. Like everybody talked about, actually, I think I heard about this concept from you first about what makes like, like instead of making a wedding cake, make a cupcake. Oh yeah. Yeah. The cupcake thing. But Everybody has a different idea of what a cupcake looks like. Right. Like, is it good enough just to have, like, some icing on it? Do you have to have, like, a lot of icing on it? Do you have to have, like, multi-layer icing? Yeah. Does your cupcake have that filling? Yeah, that's a really good, like, that's a deep insight, which is, like, the cupcake analogy, and I think it's, I got it from Adaptive Path or something, but, you know, is that, like, sure, we we all want to have that wedding cake at the end, but um, you can't. You can't just do all the cake part and then the batter and then the icing or whatever. Like the first thing you want to ship is a little mini cupcake. Um, and that's usually unintuitive for technical and implementation reasons because you're like, why are we doing this icing when we're going to throw it away when we want the bigger cake? But it's like, no, like you need to have sort of the the germ of your idea come out. Um, and that has to include everything, including like the delight. But you're right. Like the that analogy makes it sound like objectively there is a cupcake, whereas I think the smaller your project gets, the more people will disagree about what that special magic is. Almost, It almost seems like the bigger and more finally finalized a project is, the more people would be aligned about all the bells and whistles it would have. But when you strip it down to just like one bell and one whistle, then you'll have like lots of disagreement about what that, what that is. Yeah, I think that that's totally accurate. I think that when you have a big wedding cake, like there's so many parts that somebody could own like yeah maybe you'll take like the first layer of the first frosting or whatever um 
like tough things are hard, and I think finding the right people on like on your team to do those is also really tough. Yeah, I was thinking about that too the other day because you know being being a product person. Um, product people are oftentimes considered like the most accountable for the product. And um, depending on what kind of personality you are, that might also mean like you're the person who's ultimately making the decisions around the bells and whistles. So if, you know, there's a team of 10 people, they're all going to have their opinions. And then the product person is like, this is what the cupcake is. Um, And, you know, I'm, I'm someone who's, who's struggled to articulate this clearly when I'm like talking to companies, but like, I'm definitely someone who wants has a creative vision and wants it to see it implemented. So I don't, I don't just like product management for the prioritizations and the project management. Like for me, those are things I have to do so that I get, I get the resources I want to build the thing that I have in mind. Um, which makes me like not necessarily, um, I mean, I, I think I'm good to work with, but you know, it's, it's a very different working relationship than someone who's like a product management who's like, it's someone else's vision and, and my job is to sort of shepherd it along to completion. Um, but I was thinking about like some of my more successful projects and successful collaborations. And I wondered like, you know, so we had this thing called draw quest and it was daily drawing challenges. And I felt like a huge amount of ownership over it. Um, in part, because I think I'm, I'm pretty sure, I mean, we had talked about, it, it wasn't like no one had had this conversation, but I, I really felt like the mechanic, the core mechanic of synchronous, everyone gets the same notification at 12 noon, draw this. Um, that mechanic felt like it was my vision and I really felt ownership and stewardship over that. So like I was really invested. Um, but then I, when you think more about it, it's like, well, these quests, um, someone had to create these quests. And, you know, Insan, who is a good friend of mine, and, and I think you, you met her a couple of times maybe at Orbital, but, um, you know, she was, she was doing every single quest. She was coming with the title. She was creating all these characters. Like she had more to do with the, the essence of the app than the mechanic, right? Like, and so I can imagine Insan feeling like really motivated because she's like, draw quest is really about the quests and I'm creating those, you know? And then we had Sean, our designer who was designing the app and had this like really specific chunky feel and that was completely his vision. And he might've been like, that's the essence of draw quest. And so like, when I think back to that, I wonder like whether we're all a little bit like subjective with it. And like, we all feel ownership because our piece of the icing got there or, or whether I'm right and it's actually like, no, it is, it is my thing. And the, the mechanic is the key part. <laughs> There's no right answer. Yeah, I think you're right. There's no right answer. But I think it's totally natural to feel possessive over certain parts that you make. Like, oh man, like that was my thing on that part of the case, you know? Yeah, I feel like, I don't know if that's necessary, but I feel like it's desirable for people to have that. I mean, especially if those are the personalities involved, then you've got to make everyone feel an ownership in, in one way or another. Well, I think people want to feel not just important, but like the things that you're making every day are like a form of self-expression, you know, yeah. like, Hey, like I came up with that. That says something about how smart I am, how talented I am, how creative I am. Um, I think that's the driving force behind that kind of feeling. Yeah. Um, I'm actually not going to show you this thing we're in because it's going to make for bad radio, but uh, I'll, okay. send you, I'll send you a test flight invite. Um, and then cool. on, the, on the expression front, keep me in mind because like, I think what I've been interested in lately, like since joining Khan Academy is, you know, think we've been thinking about expression forever and I'm pretty convinced that like there's not a venture backable business right now around that except, except maybe a community of communities. In other words, like a platform that launches these expression communities and then doesn't care when they die. Right. Like, because it's a factory for them, but that, that version aside, um, is that close to Amino? Yeah. I mean, Amino ish, but Amino doesn't, isn't crafting communities to die. You know, imagine, imagine this community is called Phoenix. And the whole point is it's like, I'm thinking about the whole life cycle of like the thing burns to the ground and then out of ashes, we create this other thing. So there should be network effects around the mobility of the community so that like when my Phoenix Twitter dies, that whole community can move to another place um, as opposed to starting over, if that makes sense. Yeah. But anyway, so so that's one thread that I'm, I'm not super actively involved in. But the other is like, as I learn more about education, you know, people talk a lot about expression and 21st century skills 
And then, of course, there's autism and special needs education around people who are like nonverbal or non-expressive. So like my new thing, I don't know anything about it, but my new thing is like just the open question of like, what's the state of pedagogy there and whether technology can can assist? So that's like, that's my new side question. What other projects have you been working on lately? Um, I have this one project called Home Screen that I really like. This is just an art project where I have these like screenshots of uh, like what looks to be an app, but it's actually like photoshopped into like a, a visual poem. Um, so that's, that's been fun. And then my new app that I'll, I'll send you a link to is called Pablo. Uh, well, hold on. I'll, I'll just show it to you since we're talking about it. Okay. This one was like a weekend project, but I learned how to use Firebase and Firebase is dope. What do you like about it? I just never was able to like create a social network before. Like in other words, like it stores objects. Like that was where I got stuck with coding. So this is the feed. Can you see it? Uh, whoa. So it's a bunch of drawings and then like you can tap a drawing to enlarge it. Here's a face and then you can tap it to play it back. And the thing that's cool about this is the, the constraint is it's all single line drawing. So if I do this, this is the drawing canvas and I can draw on it. But as soon as I lift my finger, it uploaded that drawing. Wow. I like it. So it's like these one line drawings with like, you know, going back to expression, like the thing that this removes is that sense of like, should I post it or is it good enough? Like you don't have a choice. Like as soon as you push your finger down, you are engaged with this thing, committed to it. As soon as you lift your finger, it's uploaded. Um, and, you know, it's, it's sort of inspired by the one-line drawings like that Pablo Picasso did and stuff like that. I like it. But there's no users. Like, I'm just going to launch it. No ability to, to delete. Well, are you thinking about more projects that are from the working backwards framework, or are you trying to launch more things generally? Yeah, so, th I mean, this... This one, it just came to me and it was an idea that I wanted to do and I wanted to learn Firebase. But this one, I want to have like a little drawing party. This We did this with DrawQuest. Like we found a gallery. We had a bunch of people over. And in addition to like seeing the drawings and being able to do DrawQuest, we also like had a bunch of drawing paper and crayons and stuff like that. And so it was like a fun draw party. Um, nice. I'm going to do something much smaller scale. But yeah, I'm trying to work backwards of like, for me, I can't work backwards from where I normally do, which is like I launched the app in the app store and then I put it on Facebook. I'm like, hey, please download this. Like I can't – I don't want to operate from that again. I want to operate from like the party. The party. Yeah. Optimizing for fun. All right. Well, we'll, we'll do this again sometime. Yeah. I'm sorry time. the audio didn't work out very well. Well, I'll post it. Maybe maybe it'll sound great. I'll try to process it through GarageBand or something. But um, it, also, okay. it, it also might be my computer. I don't even know. Um, I'm in town all of August, by the way. All of August? Pretty much, for weddings. <laughs> nice. Hey, I'm in town all of April. Really? I haven't told Gary yet, but I'm going to try to work out at Orbital. Yeah, I'll be around. Cool. Yay, I'll see you soon. Yay. All right, see you Thanks, Bye. Bye. All right, that was Edlin. This has been... The Barcast, see you next time.